I was new to church and new to youth group, and we got put into three separate groups in this youth group to play some kind of uh, like Olympic style, American Gladiators, Double Dare, like youth group games. You know what I'm talking about. And we had a guy at the youth group who was about 6'8", 420 pounds, Big Vince. It was Vince was his name. And then there was another guy who was helping who was a short king. He was like five foot five, very small. And so there were three lanes to run in, and those two were going to be behind the things. And everybody's building up. Oh, you're going to get Vince. You're going to get Vince. And I'm running the anchor leg of this relay. And so I run as fast as I can, thinking I'm going to run into this six foot seven, 400 plus pound man. And it turns out I run into the short king and I hit him. And I'm so full of adrenaline. I run again. I don't know how to act in church. I've never been in church before. I don't know how to act. So I get up on stage and I take my shirt off, start flexing on stage with like all the adrenaline and just making a fool of myself. And it turns out I gave him a concussion because I hit him so hard. Damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high, high school. Because my best days will be in the past. I know, I know, I know, I know. Looking back, it ain't all bad. But damn, I'm glad I Hey everyone, welcome to Unlearning Youth Group, where the podcast where we take a look at everything we learned back in youth group, find the good, unlearn the bad, figure out where the heck we go from here. We haven't met. My name is Jonathan Carone, and we're joined, as always, by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. What is up? Man, What this is uh, almost to the end. We, we, You know what? Here's the thing. This is what we would call our penultimate episode, which I had not heard that term until like two, three years ago. I was like, what the heck is a penultimate episode? But And now you hear it everywhere, don't you? Yeah, now I hear it everywhere for everybody else or the penultimate game is like the semifinal game or whatever. So for all of you, you already know it. But just in case you don't, it's the thing before the final thing, the penultimate. So that means like next week is the ultimate episode, right? I, It doesn't really make sense. It's one of those words that the more you think about it, the less sense it makes. And for sure, I can't spell it. So there's that. And then we're also doing a thing where today's a two-parter mm. that's going to end in the season finale. Yes. So you got to come back to hear that one. Be hey, before we get into it, a quick reminder, we are on YouTube this season. If you haven't went and watched this yet, head over to youtube.com slash at unlearning youth group or click the button, the link down in the podcast description below, and that'll take you over there. Subscribe over there and leave a comment if you're watching. The other thing is, before we get into today's episode, a little bit of housekeeping. If you listened to the end of last week, which much of you don't, so this doesn't really matter. Everyone we told did. you that today was going to everyone listened to last. If I wouldn't have said this, everyone would have listened to the end of last week and been yeah. confused. But and now that like I'm saying pointing it, no out one our mistakes, go back and listen to last week and listen to it. So then afterwards, at the very end, you can go, ha ha, they screwed up. Yeah. So this week was supposed to be about the tension between letting someone live in sin and forcing our beliefs on others. But as we started writing the show, we kind of realized that was basically the same thing as we did in the love the sin or hate the sin episode. Simpsons did it. And Simpsons did it. That's kind of what it reminds <laughs> me of like that South Park episode where they're like, Simpsons did it. Simpsons did it. And they come up with like every new, you know, try they're like, Oh, what about this plot? Simpsons did it. And you're like, Oh my gosh. What if, so every angle, you know, what, Oh, uh, what is it loving or no, nope, love the sin or hate the sin. You know, like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was writing. And I'm like, I text Eric. I was like, Hey, uh, I'm struggling with this yeah, one. So happening. what we decided to do was wing it is instead of, is now we right. actually wrote something. Uh, I know you want to wing everything, but Jonathan winging things is not a good idea. So I uh, have to have notes so I don't say anything stupid that lives on the internet forever. And I say a bunch of stupid stuff already. So imagine me without notes. Yeah. 
But instead of rehashing the Love the Sinner, Hate the Sin episode, what we decided to do is expand on what we were going to talk about next week. So next week, we were going to end the season off with an episode on church hurt. Mm. But what we're going to do is we're going to split that into two episodes. Next week, we're going to talk about how Christians who have been hurt by the church can respond and move forward and keep their faith with Jesus. This week, we're going to focus on how we should respond to those in our lives who have been hurt by the church or who have experienced religious trauma. And so if you're new with us, we typically follow the same format every week. We introduce the topic like we're doing right now. We find the good intentions. We unlearn the bad results, and then we figure out how to move forward. Mm-hmm. We're not doing that this week. We probably won't do it next week. Instead, we're just going to focus mainly on three responses we need to have when we're talking with people who have been hurt by the church. Because let's be honest, we are in the middle of a season to where people are acknowledging more than ever the hurt that the church has caused them. And what I have noticed, Eric, you can speak into this if you agree or disagree. People, I don't think people have been hurt by the church at any greater rate now than they have been in, in the past. It's just we now have the outlet that every single person can share their story in their own words whenever they want to. And that's compounded by the fact that Christians and churches aren't responding really great or even good to some of the things that people are saying hurt them in the church. Yeah, I think it's the global nature of our communication, but also the global nature of our church, or at least the the national nature. You know, uh, we've talked about um friend of the show, Matt Chandler and the Village Church a couple of times this uh, <laughs> this season. Um, but, you know, very similar. We did a whole episode on him. I know. Basically, uh, we used it as a backbone. But, you know, you can go back and listen to it. But the, the idea, and I remember, you know, on social media, when that whole thing first came out, the Village Church, there was a lot of pushback on like, hey, you shouldn't be saying anything about uh, the village church if you're not a member of their congregation. And I remember, I think you had some good takes on it, but you know, my thought too was like that the fact that Matt Chandler is a national speaker, they intentionally put their services out online, you know, like they have a national platform, whether they want to or not. And it's pretty obvious that they want to yep. because, you know, their the annual report includes a lot of things speaking, that would only be. Yeah. And yeah. he's, he's like leading acts 29 or is it acts 29, right? Yeah. Or the gospel coalition. I mean, what? Yeah. He stepped down after this latest. Right. But you know what I mean? Like there's, he's, he's a part of a national sense. This isn't like when I first started going to church in like the late nineties, where we were going to tiny little uh, United Methodist church in the middle of nowheresville, Ohio. And we didn't put anything online and we still had a tape ministry, you know? So (laughs) I mean, honestly, don't you remember like tape ministries where people would take their tapes and we had a huge carrying cases for the tapes that you would listen to and stuff like that. No, because of cell phones, because of the internet, anybody can share their story from anywhere. And so in some ways, it's bringing a lot of attention and transparency to some of the bad things that are happening in the church. It's harder to hide behind some of these institutionalized uh, methods of abuse and oppression and these structures. So these structures cannot exist anymore, which also gives some strong pushback by the people who depend on these structures to remain in power. Now, I'm not saying that's every pastor, every church, everything like that, but we have to admit there are some scumbags in our neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. There are scumbags in our churches. There are scumbags in our families, you know, especially we just went through a holiday season. So you probably remember a couple of them. haven't seen them for a while, (laughs) but that's, I I totally agree with you. I think the fact that it's no longer the the local church is no longer local in a global communication uh, in, in a global communication reality. 
And before we get into this idea, I know that there is the natural reaction to put your fists up and not want to hear this, especially if you are involved in a church in any way. So let me go ahead and start off by saying this. This could be like our typical, what's the good? Yep. I love the local church. Mm-hmm. I think that when it's healthy, it's an incredible place of refuge, of hope, of healing, of freedom, of all those things. Nearly 60% of my business in 2022 was helping churches and denominations and networks reach more people so they can make a bigger impact for Jesus. I'm involved in my own local church at a lot of different levels. But churches are made up of people, and we live in a fallen world where people are still impacted by sin. And even if you go back to Jesus's time, religious people, the religious leaders, they use their religion to manipulate and take advantage of people. The unfortunate reality is that hasn't changed much. So while I love the local church, we have to be willing and able to acknowledge there are places that it needs to be reformed and redeemed. And one of those places is listening to and responding well to those who have been hurt by the things we have done, the things we have said, that maybe they were intentional, maybe they were unintentional, maybe you didn't even recognize they were happening in the moment. But we have to be able to respond to those people in a loving way. So for today, we're going to talk about three ways that we need to respond to people who have been hurt by the church. And the first response that I think we need to do is we need to listen to the hurt, not the words that someone is saying. Yeah. This concept comes from a friend of mine named Stephen Brewster. We were talking about church hurt one time and he said, I've got this quote. I love it. I wrote it down. If we really wanted to help hurt people heal, we would shut up and listen to them. And then we would respond to the hurt and not what they said. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a big, a big deal that happens is we forget the, we forget who the messenger is, you know, and we, we miss and we misunderstand what the direction of the message is. And in a lot of ways, it's like when you're talking to, um, you know, you're, I don't know for, for parents, sometimes when a kid comes to you and they say something and they're, they're complaining about something that they don't like, you know, it, my first reaction for my kids is to just jump right away and be like, and just, you know, go right into it. So, well, you know, if you like, uh, Oh, last night. So my, my oldest son, Calvin, we're getting ready to go to bed. And right before he's falling asleep, he goes, daddy, I want to tell you some of the things I appreciate, appreciate about you. And I was like, oh, are you kidding me? You know, oh. I want to pull out the phone and I want to like record these and have these forever. Did you start crying immediately? Yeah. He, says, <laughs> he says like two things. And then he goes, now I want to tell you some of the things I don't appreciate about you. <laughs> and number one, number one, well, I don't know. may not, may not have been number one. I was kind of blacking out at that point. You know, I was seeing red. <laughs> and, uh, number, and he says, he says, when you take away my screen time, when I make bad choices and I'm like, uh, uh, right away, I want to jump in and I want to be like, well, guess what? That's a consequence. And every time you make a bad choice, yeah. there's a natural consequence, whether you, you know, blah, 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 blah. But in that moment, parents, what, what we know or what we should know. And if you don't here, here's a tip is he's sharing with me something that hurt him whether or not it's justified. And so as the mature person with the, uh, with the perspective, yes, when he makes a bad choice and that we have established consequences that he already knows about losing screen time is an acceptable consequence for that bad choice. I think every, every parent said, amen. However, 
because I care about my relationship with my son, my first response should be, it's not always, but it should be, yeah, buddy, that really does stink. I, I could understand how that would be frustrating when, when you lose your screen time. And that's tough. And that's okay. That's okay to feel tough, right? I don't need to jump and defend my parenting in that moment because that's mm -hmm. not what's at stake here. What's at stake is a relationship. And I love that line from Andy Stanley that he uses when he talks specifically about uh, politics, but I think it applies here. He says, never allow a political view to get in between the you that's in front of you. In, in that whole thing of like, mm -hmm. don't allow your views or your personal perspectives and opinions to burn a, a relational bridge with somebody else. And so the big thing that I would say right away is when you hear somebody talk about hurt from the church is don't take it personally. Yes, just like Jonathan said, you probably love the church. They might even be talking about your church, right? Mm -hmm. But unless they're talking directly about what you did, and even when they do, you could still acknowledge their perspective. You could still give them the benefit of the doubt. You could still listen to them because our, perce our perceptions are our realities. And so from their standpoint, that was hurting them. What, what we choose to do about it can differ, but at yep. least acknowledge that there was hurt there. Well, and I love the, the fact that you said benefit of the doubt there, because too often when someone's sharing with us that they've been hurt by mm -hmm. something that we might love, we're really quick to go into lawyer mode and we start dissecting every participle and phrase that they said. Yep. We try to poke holes in the story. Well, what was she wearing type of stuff? Right. When, or when it comes or to what, these the, what, and, what conservative fundamentalists like to go to, right, is, oh, uh, go back to the serpent in the garden. Did God really say that? Oh, did he really say that? Oh, did you really say that? Like, oh, did he or yeah. she really? You know, it's these questioning over what is truth. Did that pastor like, actually say it in those words? Yes, or yes. Any or did we, you we take poke it holes in way. it? Yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. Yep. And in, instead, we need to listen to the hurt that's driving what they're saying. We need to go past the words that are being said and look at the heart behind it. Because when we get hurt, you know this, I know this, we all do this. We say things in ways that may not be fully true or ways that might be biased Yeah, because we're responding out of emotion and we're responding out of hurt. Mm -hmm. So as friends, as the person listening to the hurt, we need to try to move past the words that are coming out of their mouth. I can't help but think of the Chris Tucker. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth yeah, from right. Rush Hour? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which, by the way, that movie does not hold up. Oh, my goodness. That was so racist. I don't yeah. know if you've seen any clips from that lately, but oh, oh, that does not hold no, up one bit. Anyway, late, late 90s, early but, 2000s movies, man. That's that's a that's a hole in in our oh. culture. <laughs> but. We need to go past the words they're saying and actually pay attention to the heart behind it, the emotion behind it, the experience behind it. Because what our friends say isn't the important part. The important part is getting to the root of what they're saying and helping them heal from that hurt. And if we really care about them, we'll shut up and listen to the hurt instead of dissecting the words that they're saying. Yeah, that's, that's so true when we think about that, to be able to say, okay, let's, let's listen, like you said, like what, what is behind it? What are they trying to get out? They're saying, I'm hurt. They're saying there was an expectation there that didn't happen. They were saying there was a, uh, there, there was a breach of trust. 
I mean, whatever it is, we could go down to it. And we could disagree over whether or not you would be hurt by the same thing that I would be hurt by. Yep. But ultimately, that doesn't matter. And so as we're going through- They're hurt. The truth of the yeah, matter is they're hurt. Yeah. Think about it this way. It's like when you get an injury, um, you know, and you get bruising around that injury or swelling. It's like, I can't really heal that injury until that swelling goes down because that swelling is there to protect whatever it is that was hurt. So sometimes, especially if you, you know, I, uh, a lot of, a lot of people will talk about this in relational counseling and other things like that, where it's like, you have to listen to what the other person is saying and be there for them and sit in that so they can uh, regulate from their, their emotion and the feeling to get to the point where they're ready to actually walk through and make changes. And so in the same way as like, for those of you who are into uh, 12 step programs, you know, the first step is acknowledging that you have a problem. The first step is going, yes, this happened. We could disagree on how we proceed from here, but Jonathan shares with me church hurt. I say, I acknowledge that you've been hurt. I hear that. I hear that you're hurting. I hear that. And I see that. And, you know, we work through that before we start talking about what we need to do about it. And, and that's, that's 100% okay. And I think we, we missed this in the beginning, but I think for all of our listeners, if you, if you haven't been listening, you don't know, Jonathan and I both have pretty unique uh, perspectives on this because we've both been hurt by the church and we've both Absolutely. worked yep. for the church. I mean, I worked for the, I worked for the local church for 10 years in high leadership positions. And so I've done things that have contributed to hurting people in the church. 100%. So yep. I've been the hurter. And I have been hurt myself. And so there is a bit of like, we've seen it from both of these perspectives. And that leads to what I think is response number two, and that's empathy. Mm -hmm. We have to respond with empathy. And more often than not, we lead with sympathy and not empathy. Ah, Sympathy often is a response out of pity. We feel bad for them and what happened. Yeah. Whereas empathy is our ability to imagine or understand what the other person is feeling. Yeah. One of the best examples I have of this is I've probably referenced the West Wing on here before, but the West Wing is one of my favorite TV shows in the world. There's, there's a, a couple episodes where one of the main characters is going through something and his boss kind of does some stuff behind the scenes that helps him out. And at the very end of one episode, Leo walks over to Josh. He's like, yeah, you're in a hole right now. And, I've been in that hole. So I know how to get out of it. Let me help you get out of it. So sympathy is basically seeing your friends down in the hole and say, man, that sucks. I hate that you're down there. Hope everything works out for you. Mm. Or that must suck. Empathy is jumping in the hole, putting yourself in the situation and helping your friend out of the hole. Yeah. That's why it starts with the response. Number one of listening to the hurt so that we can put ourselves in that position to help our friend get out of the hole and to get past the hurt that they're experiencing. Yep. And uh, there's actually, you know, I was thinking about this, this, uh, this comes up too when, when you come up with situations where you're actually apologizing for people, for things. So I think you can kind of separate out what a good empathetic response is versus a shallow apology. And I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm guilty of a lot of these. And these are from psychology today but these are lines that people say. And I used to say it all the time. I'm trying as hard as I can not to anymore because like um, I realized that it's kind of just being a, a it's, it's being a, a jerky person to protect your own self when you respond this way. So when somebody says yourself right there, I'm proud of you. What was that? 
That's a way to center yourself right there. I'm proud of you. Thank you. So <laughs> I almost said just so you can edit that out, just so you know. <laughs> you know, person is what I wanted to say because it's how I feel. Anyway, so these are the types of responses when somebody says something and you say, one, I'm sorry you feel that way. I mean, it's popular. And I think that that, you know, and in fact, some well-meaning people will say that's how you should say that. But that doesn't express any sort of really account of accountability when it's on your side. And in fact, it almost distances yourself to go like, you are the problem. I'm sorry that you feel that way. You are the issue there. I'm, you know, it's regrettable that you are choosing to take this the wrong way is essentially what you're saying. I'm sorry you made that choice. That's difficult. Number two, I'm sorry you believe that, or I'm sorry that you think that is just another, another issue. Imagine somebody shares their church hurt with you and they say, Hey, you know what? I, the church did this and, and this is how I'm, I'm feeling. Well, boy, I'm sorry you choose to think that way. It's like, I'm what you're saying. I'm sorry. You're a moron. I'm sorry. You're not emotionally mature enough. None of that's helpful. Number three is anytime you add a, but at the end, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. this happened, but it just don't just don't add the butts in because that negates everything you've said already. So another version of that is at least, yes, I'm sorry. You're going through that, but at least this good thing happened or yes. at least it's not that bad. So, yep. but, or at least could go there as well. And especially when it comes to the church and we'll get into this in, I think the next, the next section, but it's like, um, I'm sorry that happened to you, Jonathan, but the church isn't, you know, the, the church is the hope of the world and, you know, but we need to listen to our church leaders, but we can't, we can't throw the church under the bus, but we can't be negative about the church because there are unbelievers out there who are going to, you know, but we can't be uh, sowing seeds of disunity and discord. That's not helpful, especially in all these, especially if you're hearing this for the first time. Uh, the other one is like the I'm not perfect response or the church isn't perfect. That that shows good, like that says you're coming from a good place, but it's not acknowledging their hurt. So if Jonathan mm -hmm. says to me, hey, Eric, this church, you know, hurt me because they did this. And you go, well, you know, Jonathan, the church isn't perfect. It's like, there are no perfect people. And I hate that response from Christians where they're going, well, the church is about people and there are no perfect people. And you know what? It's all about sinners. And that means we got room for you. You know, and it's like, okay, thanks. But you know what? That, that does not do anything to empathize with the person that's hurting. And then finally, any sort of lack of remorse or actually actual willingness to do something about it. So if you find yourself in the wrong and you don't do anything about it, or if you don't at least acknowledge their hurt and willingness to do something about it, what, you know, how can I help? What can I do? Can we, mm -hmm. you know, who do we need to talk to? Can I give you the name of a counselor, right? Can we do something about it? And you find out that people are hurt and you don't care. That's, those are five things. Like that's five ways not to empathize with people that are hurting. And so I'm going to take it and I'm going to flip it to the ways that we do empathize with people. And I'm stealing this straight from Brene Brown. She did a great Ted talk on the difference in empathy and sympathy. Mm -hmm. She says that empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Mm. Think of the comments that Eric just mentioned and how those would cause disconnection as opposed to connection. Yep. She mentions there are four qualities of empathy. The first is perspective taking. That's the ability to take the perspective of another person and realize that what they're saying is their truth. Again, this gets back to our first response of listening to the hurt behind it instead of the words. Acknowledge uh -oh, uh -oh. that this is hold their on, lived hold experience. On, hold, on. hold on. Conservative evangelical alert. Conservative evangelical alert. But what do we say, Jonathan? 
There is no such thing as your tr truth. There is only one truth. Okay, then let's change the words. That's their lived experience. Ah, okay. That All right. they are acknowledging. That's, that they are that's the pushback, right? That's the way we still defend <laughs> yep. in the church is we say, well, there is no such thing as your truth, Jonathan. There is the truth, and we're after the truth. And I think okay, that's and also disingenuous because then you're not acknowledging that the truth is this event happened, and the truth is the emotional response it elicited from somebody was this. And the truth is they're sharing their emotional response to you and the truth is, by you not acknowledging their emotional response, you're a jerk. <laughs> so, for, so for you, you guys that are tripped up by the idea of their truth, living mm -hmm. their truth, change it. Perspective taking is the ability to take on the perspective of another person or realizing what they're saying is their lived experience. Yep. That's a better way to say that in a way that maybe is easier for you to understand. Yep. The second quality of empathy is staying out of judgment. This happened to them. This is what they experienced. Don't judge it. Just acknowledge it happened and try to have empathy towards it. The third quality of empathy is recognizing the emotion of others. A lot of times when it comes to this type of stuff, we, we say you shouldn't feel that way or you shouldn't be upset about that. Empathy is recognizing the emotion in others that you're listening to. And the fourth piece, it's the back half of the third piece, communicating that emotion back to them. We need to be able to communicate the emotion that they're feeling back to them so that we can acknowledge and demonstrate that we understand what they are feeling. Mm. Renee Brown goes on to say that empathy is feeling with people. It's not feeling for them. It's feeling with them. It is a choice. In order to connect with you, I have to connect with something inside myself that knows the feeling of what you are experiencing. It's not trying to make you or the person who was hurt feel better. Rarely can a response from us make someone feel better. Right. What makes them better is the connection with us, realizing that they are not alone, that they are understood that they're accepted and that we actually care about what they're going through as opposed to just trying to fix it. I was yeah. a part of a church a few years ago back in Knoxville that we were, we were shifting. There's these seven shifts that we were trying to do as a church. And one of the shifts we were making was the shift to journey with people instead of trying to solve their problems. Did you guys brand? I think these that's a gigantic shift. We need to have. Tell me you did. Did you brand your no, seven, shifts seven shifts as your seven smooth did. stones? Cause if you didn't, then I don't know no. what kind of <laughs> modern evangelical non-denominational church you were a part of, but you need to get a refund from something. I think they need to pay you 10% of your tithe back because you'd be like, you didn't call the seven shifts, the seven smooth stones to feed the giants in our, in our church life. Ooh. <laughs> and see, that's what happens when we don't have as many notes as we normally do. <laughs> Good luck editing that one. Oh, I'm not going to try. I'm not even going to try. So the other thing I love about the empathy part is like, I'll get this response from some people sometimes where it's like, well, what if, what if I haven't been hurt by the church before? You know, cause you have some of those like cradle to the grave Christians that have grown up in the church their entire life and they never see any of that hurt and they never see the things that other people are saying. And I think what you're saying is like, I love that idea of connecting with something inside of you that knows the experience that they're experiencing. That's the feeling, not necessarily the lived experience. 
So even if you've never been hurt by the church, you can still empathize with somebody because you can ask. I mean, that's the other thing. It's like, ask them about it. It's like, how does this, how, what are you feeling right now? Tell me what this is feeling like. And if they go, I feel angry, I feel betrayed, and I feel a little bit lost, right? Now you're going, when was the last time I felt angry, betrayed, and lost altogether? What can I connect that to? You know, oh, I was let go from a job, you know, or something like that, or mm-hmm. I was passed over from a promotion, or, you know, or you don't a have coach to did something to me. Yeah, or, coach said something, yeah. or a teacher, or whatever, or a divorce, you know, whatever's going on. A it's parent. like, but what you, you don't have to compare hurt. You don't have to go, oh, yeah. Man, because I know when I, boy, when I lost, uh, when, when I when I spent a bunch of money on those lottery tickets and I didn't end up winning the Powerball, I felt <laughs> angry, lost, betrayed, and hurt. Like you don't have to do that, but dig down and go, "Yep, I've been there. I've been in a spot where I felt angry before, and I've been in a spot where I felt confused and lost and betrayed, and it sucks. It sucks that you could say that, and it's it it sucks." And I hate that for you. Like, I hate that for me. I don't want you to feel that way. That's the other part of empathy is it's like, do you want the person you're talking to to continue to feel the way that they do? If yes, again, you're a jerk. Like, great. If no, then that's where you can kind of help get them out of this spot. But I think too many of our responses implicitly project that we, I actually want you to stay hurt. You know, it's the, like the common thing now is like, stay mad stay mad. You know, you tell people like, stay mad and like do the three Z snap thing. It's like, but that's not how we treat the people we love and care about. So, and finally, the the thing about empathy too, is what you're doing when you're, when you're becoming an empathetic person is you're creating a safe, a, a space that's safe for them to share their feelings. And I think this is probably one of the, one of the biggest like slept on, uh, ideas why it's important to do this. It's gonna, gonna filter into why the church is has been so bad through this whole thing is people are seeking the counsel and seeking opinions and processing outside of Christianity. This evangelical deconstruction is turning into like, you know, an atheism pipeline because, or agnostic pipeline, because the church and church people have proved to these people that they are not safe spaces to share their hurt. And it's like, man, think of all of the times that Jesus is like is telling you like come to me and you will find rest like bring me your baggage like i'm gonna weep with you but our response as church people is nope 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 we don't want to talk about hurt we don't want to talk about hurt we don't want to talk about hurt your hurt is not safe here and i think if jesus were here I, hell uh, shoot heck i think if paul were here <laughs> if paul were here He'd be writing a he'd be writing the the letter to the Church of the Americas or the letter of the to the Church of the Evangelicals. Like, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. People's hurt and their pain is valid, and your church should be a safe space for you to share. My brother Timothy, take this letter to the Church of the Evangelical South and all of America, and tell Philemon that I love him. Do I make a Falwell <laughs> Billy Graham joke right here, or do I just keep it going? I you think I'll keep it, it moving. <laughs> Oh, and tell Mark Driscoll, friend of the church, shut up. Being a disciple of someone is doing the work to become like them. You're following them and trying to become like them. If we're being active disciples of Jesus, we should be doing the work to become like him. 
And one of the things that he did was create safe places where people who have been hurt, who have been ostracized, who have sinned, who have done all these things, they felt safe around him. He was a friend of sinner. And I know we point to that to justify a bunch of stuff, but that meant that sinners were comfortable around him. Yep. People who have done stupid things and who had done things that were against or out of his design were comfortable coming to him and being around him. Yep. We should be the same way to those both outside the church, but especially inside the church, we should be a safe place for people to come and listen and where they can come and we will listen when they talk about the things that have hurt them. We have to be that for them. So what about the response? Cause here I'm, I'm going to play, you know, fundy fundy's advocate here. Like what happens when we say things like, um, well, we're not, here to build safe spaces, you know, cause that's become a politicalized, politi politicized, political term. Mm -hmm. Like you're going hide in your safe space. You, you live and all that sort of thing. Or the other thing that I hear a lot from, you know, certain churches like this is they're putting out there like, Hey, sometimes the truth isn't safe. You know, they'll want to quote CS Lewis, which is like mind blowing to me that anybody who's a fundamentalist evangelical Christian <laughs> is using their fundamentalist background and then quoting CS Lewis, who by all accounts, was probably a little bit more progressive than you want to admit. But they're like, oh, well, when they're talking about Aslan, which is Jesus, and they're like, is he safe? No, he's not safe, but he's good. Like, Do you know okay. that's my desktop background? What, I have a that, picture that, of a line with that, with that quote on it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking about all these things about like, well, the truth, sometimes the truth hurts. And you know what else isn't safe? Burning in hell isn't safe. You know, like all that sort of thing. And we want to just get up in arms about it which I think leads into our, our final response. But the, the, the key there is like, you still want to be in the same breath when you're like, we're a hospital for sinners. You know, you still want to be a place where people who are hurt and broken feel like this is the place for them to go to seek the actual truth and love and joy and peace and kindness, happiness, self-control, all that. Well, if we are supposed to love others as we love ourselves, then wouldn't we want someone to listen to us, to empathize with us? Or would we want someone to be like, well, here's the truth of it before yep. they even listen to us? No. Yep. The example of Jesus was always to accept and welcome in the person to hear from them. And then he spoke truth to them. Yep. So before we can even begin to speak any type of truth, or clarify things that may have that the person may have gotten wrong. We first have to accept them in and listen to them and empathize with them. And then at that point, we have earned the right to speak into things. Mm -hmm. But it's not until then. And I could probably do a long on another hour on empathy because I believe empathy is our superpower. Yeah. But I do want to respect time and move to our third response, which is. Don't jump to defend the local church. Yeah, it, it's a default that a lot of people go to. And it's just so it's become very, very like grating to me when I hear it, because it, it evokes, you know, if you go back to like the Me Too movement where you had the like the not all men thing where it's like somebody says, hey, so and so sexually assaulted someone else. And it's like, yeah, but not all men, not all men do that. Not, it's like, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about that. 
We're talking about an isolated incident that just happened right here that we need to deal with this incident. We don't need to blow it up and make it into some microcosm of the entire thing. Let's, let's focus on here. You don't have to jump right away and be like, well, not all churches are like that. Not all churches are like that. And like jump behind it. Because the, the biggest thing for me is like, Jesus doesn't need you to defend the church. He doesn't, you know, and he especially doesn't need you to defend bad people bad within churches. the church. You don't cover up bad and misuse of the church. You don't cover up the wolves that are in the sheep's clothing because you don't want people to acknowledge that, oh, shoot, there might be wolves around. Yeah, and a lot of this comes back to, and I think we've, we're probably going to do an episode on this in a future season, but there is this persecution complex that a lot inside the church have that lead us to think, hey, we're going to be persecuted, so we need to defend ourselves. And so anything that is negative feels like an attack. And so we have to defend ourselves. And if we're being 100% honest, pastors are some of the most insecure people on the planet. Mm -hmm. Ask any healthy pastor, and they will tell you about all the insecurities they had to overcome to get healthy. Yep. And most of your unhealthy pastors have insecurities that they don't even realize. Oh, yeah. So what happens is they respond out of this insecurity. Back at Christmas, I made a post on the different social platforms that it was directed to people who have been hurt by the church or have experienced religious trauma. And I said, I don't want to invite you to church this year. Yeah. But I do want to gently remind you that this baby we celebrate came to do this, this, and this. So I said, even if you don't feel comfortable or safe at church this year, I hope you will still celebrate this baby because he is worth it. Mm. And I posted that and a pastor who I'd done some work for years ago, he commented and said, so are you just going to spend the rest of your career dunking on the local church? And he deleted it right away. Yeah. But it was a natural response to him as a pastor to see a message encouraging those who have been hurt by the church to seek after Jesus because he's worth it as a dunk on the local church. Yeah. That's the world that a lot of pastors are living in. Unfortunately, they, yeah. and, and here's the thing, like I want to empathize with them as well. They hear the worst of the worst. They yeah. hear accusations thrown at them that are not true all the time. So I, I understand why church people, church leaders will be their natural response is to take offense when someone talks about how mm -hmm. they've been hurt by the church. Yep. But here's the thing, Eric, you mentioned Jesus doesn't need us to defend the local church. We say all the time that the church is the people. It's not the building. And if that is true, it also means that the church is not the 501 C three organization. Right. So we need to be protecting the people that make up the church not the organization that is supposed to represent it. Jesus did not say that I'm going to build my 501c3 organization and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He said, I will build my church, which is the people. And if we're going to build the church of Jesus, the people of Jesus, we have to listen to them. We have to respond with empathy and we can't be defending the people who just like in Jesus's time mm -hmm. are sinful and do things that are not of God. We live in a fallen world. 
This, these things are going to happen from now until when Jesus comes back, whatever that looks like. See the rapture episode earlier this season for our thoughts on that. But these things are going to happen. And when they happen, we need to call them out. We need to call them what they are. And we need to do the hard work to reform inside the church so that no one or the, or fewer people have to deal with this in the future. Yeah. Yeah. And I think your story is, is pretty amazing because it's, it's revealing on that very first gut reaction that we have in the church. And that is, that is right there to go, no, I'm this, this, this organization, this industry, this, you know, institution idol, <laughs> idol is more important right now. And I have to defend its reputation. But it's as true as that Matthew 16 reference of Jesus building his church and even the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So that whether you want to consider your institution part of what Jesus talks about in Matthew 16 or not, he says he's going to build the church and nothing anyone can do, even the gates of hell will prevail against it. So guess what? Guess what? That person who's hurt because they didn't get a call back from the pastor, you know, during one of their hospital visits. And it, you may have a million different reasons to justify why you didn't call them back. You don't need to defend the church. You need to love the sheep that Jesus called you to love. And we're going to talk about it next week. And I know that there's like a famous, you know, infamous at this point, Matt Chandler quote back about how the sheep can bite. And that's true. That's true. But man, when you have confidence and you have faith that God says he is who he say, you know, is who he says he is, and Jesus is going to do what he says he's going to do, then that need to, to tightly fist, grip, and defend in front of someone else who's hurting just goes away. It's the same as if you're dealing with your kid and you're confident. I'm confident that my punishment or my consequence of taking away screen time for bad choices is good. And right and sound. I don't need to argue that with my 11 year old. I need to empathize with him and let him know that it's safe for him to tell me when he's upset by something, even if it's a good thing, even if it's something that's going to protect him. I need him to feel safe to talk to me. And so if you're a church leader out there, you need to make sure that the people that are talking, or a Christian in general, you need to make sure that the people that are talking to you feel safe to bring their doubts, to bring their hurts, to bring their struggles. Because you have that confidence in knowing that nothing they say, that not even the gates of hell is going to prevail against the church and the movement that Jesus is building. Not even the gates of bad and toxic church pastors and leaders will prevail against it. I said at the beginning of the episode that when it's healthy, the local church is an incredible place of refuge, of hope, of healing, and of freedom. And I still think that's true. But when it's unhealthy, it's a place of manipulation, of narcissism, mm -hmm. of spiritual abuse. And I think we have to be smart enough to say that both of these things are true. Yes. That it is a place of hope, healing, refuge, hope, joy, peace, kindness, all these things. And it can be a place of all these negative things. And mm -hmm. just because one church is the negative doesn't mean that all churches. I know we don't want to do the not all church thing, but if we truly believe not all churches, then we don't have to defend the bad ones. Right. Yep. 
we can and say same, that was the wrong. same thing for the not all men thing um, it, or not all churches. Church hurt is not all churches, but it's always a church. If someone says yep. they're hurt by the church, there's always a church involved. And that may not be your church and they may not be all churches, but at least acknowledging, yes, not all churches, but it's always a church when it comes. And, to hey, before hurt. we get out of here, I do want to mention this. It may be an issue with the person. Maybe they need to have the Taylor Swift song playing over them that, hey, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. And yeah. maybe they're the problem that actually caused the hurt. Sure. But when they're confiding in us in their hurt, that is not the time nor the place to point out that, hey, maybe you are the issue. Right. We first need to listen to the hurt and acknowledge it's there. We then need to respond with empathy. Let the bruise We heal. don't need to defend the church. And then once we have had the conversation and worked through the hurt, then we can work on how do these things need to change moving forward? Mm-hmm. How can you change to not be hurt again? But only after we do that other empathetic, caring, loving work on the front end. So don't skip through A, B, C, and D to get to X, Y, and Z. We have to do the hard part on the front end so that we can lead people better. And that's how we disciple others. And that's how we lead them to Jesus. Eric, you got anything else on this one? No, I think we, uh, we went around it. I think the last thing I will say is to anybody that's been hurt by the church. Um, I hope that you think, I hope that you feel like this space on learning youth group that, uh, the social media handles we're about to share. I hope you feel like those are safe spaces for you to process your hurt. Um, because we've been there. I've been there. Jonathan's been there. We know a lot of people that have, and next week we're, we're going to talk through some of those things that we can actually do to move forward in a healthy way. But the most important thing right now is if you're in a season where you need to be heard, or if you're in a season where you need some time for that hurt to heal, uh, you can send us an email. You can connect with us on social media. Um, we've had people email us and ask us about certain situations and, uh, you know, we'll use whatever perspective we have. Um, to sit with you and provide back, you know, any, any insight. And if you just need someone to say, yeah, that sucks. We're there. Absolutely. You can email us at hello at unlearningyouthgroup.com. Eric's at Eric W712 on all the social platforms. I am at Jonathan underscore Corona on them as well. Hey, if this episode helped you, if you think someone needs to hear this and it will help them share this with them, whether it's on a podcast platform or it's on YouTube, Uh, We do this so that we can hopefully help us all move forward and learn better. Two quick reminders before we get out of here. If you want some merch, you can get that at unlearningyouthgroup.com. And if you have a great, funny, awkward youth group store, you can share that at unlearningyouthgroup.com as well. As always, thanks for taking about 45 minutes to an hour of your week during these seasons to listen to us. Thanks for all the feedback you give us through email, through social. Thanks for interacting on those platforms. Uh, We do this because of you and you guys make it so much fun. So, We'll see you next week and we hope you have a great week.